even though I have a PhD in nutrition, so technically I'm an expert in food, I got sick, deathly sick, largely because of my lack of knowledge about our food supply. And I thought if I didn't know this, other people must not know it either. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gervais. I'm the host of the show. I'm really excited to introduce my two guests today. I have Dr. Sina McCullough and Joel Salatin with me today. And today we're going to be talking about their book, Beyond Labels. Dr. Sina McCullough is the author of Hands Off My Food. She holds a PhD in nutritional science and a BS in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior, both from the University of California at Davis. Despite her knowledge, she developed an autoimmune disease, which prompted her to launch an investigation into our food supply. What she learned saved her life. She reversed the disease without the use of medication. Now, Dr. McCullough is dedicated to helping others avoid the health challenges she has faced. Also, we have Joel Salatin. Joel Salatin and his family operate Polyface Farm in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. Beginning in 1961, the family developed soil building and water enhancing protocols to grow pastured livestock which include beef, pork, chicken, turkey, ducks, and sheep. The farm direct markets to individual families, restaurants, and institutional dining services. Joel has a long track record of innovation and excellence. His farm holds educational seminars, farm tours, day camps, and events to encourage duplication and understanding. As the editor of 13 books, and he is the editor of the world's premier pastured livestock publication, The Stockman Grass Farmer. Cena and Joel, welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm thrilled to have you both on the show today and to talk about your book, Beyond Labels. Joel has been on my show before. It's been a few years, eight or nine years, and uh, I'm so glad you decided to do this book together. So let's get started. Cena. Let me start out by asking you why you wrote the book. Sure. So I developed an advanced stage of an autoimmune disease, which was rheumatoid arthritis in my 30s. Um, I was also diagnosed with um, arsenic poisoning. uh, So I had to go through chelation treatment. And I had leaky gut, um, which led to deficiencies in 15 nutrients. Um, In fact, I was so deficient that I was diagnosed as borderline for both um, beriberi and pellagra. Uh, Both of those are diseases that result from B vitamin deficiencies. Both of them can lead to death and have led to death in the United States. And both of them were largely eradicated in the U.S., at least by the mid-1900s. But like in my situation, we're seeing a resurgence of these micronutrient deficiency diseases, in large part from the food supply. So I, um, I didn't get sick overnight. It took decades to develop that degree of sickness. 
my severe symptoms started in my 20s, um, you know, with just gastrointestinal issues. Uh, my symptoms grew from there. Um, every decade, I got more, uh, I acquired more symptoms. Um, some of them were like kidney stones, um, chronic sinus infections. I had bumps on the back of my arms. Um, you know, I had multiple, I had five miscarriages. Um, I had polyps, um, intestinal polyps, uh, severe food sensitivities. Um, in fact, by the end, I, my list of foods that I could eat without having a reaction dwindled down to a half a page of paper. So I was severely sick at, at, the, at my rock bottom. I couldn't get off the floor, um, couldn't wrap my hand around a cup because I was in so much pain. And my son, he's 11 now, but he remembers having to bring a glass of water over to me with a straw on it as I was on the floor, just so I could drink some water. Mm. So it was, it was severe. We knew that if, if something didn't change radically, we knew that I was gonna die. Um, so fortunately, um, I surrendered everything over to God and he showed me another path um, out of the conventional box of medicine. Uh, and I, I rapidly fell that path and it led to a pretty rapid healing. I'm now fully, fully healed. I have no indications of disease in my body, not even any inflammatory markers uh, elevated on any of my lab tests. So I'm fully healed. Um, but it took a lot of education to get there. And that's one reason why, um, one of the big reasons why I wrote this book and why I chose Joel to write it with me is because even though I have a PhD in nutrition, so technically I'm an expert in food, I got sick, deathly sick, largely because of my lack of knowledge about our food supply. And I thought if I didn't know this, other people must not know it either. And my goal was um, when, when I surrendered everything to God and I, I told him, I made him the promise that I would help other people, help other people to not be sick or to help them reverse their diseases as well. And so that's what I did with this book is um, with Joel's help, we lay out the truth about what's really in our food and how it got there. And most importantly, what people can do on an individual scale in a practical, affordable way to not get sick or to help themselves if they are sick to reverse the condition that they have. Thank you. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And I'm sure that some of our listeners have been there as far as, um, you know, having some kind of inflammatory marker and changed their diet and, and it made all the difference in the world. So Joel, you write in the beginning of the book that your first step in a healing journey is realizing your power lies in your choice. And that health is a choice, happiness is a choice, and freedom is a choice. So, so many people feel uh, hemmed in. Uh, when, look, when you don't feel like you have a choice, you're, you're in bondage. I mean, you, it, it's uh, whether it's self-inflicted or somebody else denies you choice. So uh, choice is, a, is an extremely liberating, it, it allows innovation in your life. I mean, choice in our culture allows innovation in the marketplace. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of ramifications about choice and to do with your life, including in food. <laughs> and so today we have tons and tons of, of choice, not only what we want to do with our lives, but and what we want to do with our vocations. 
but also in, in the food sphere. And uh, this is both a blessing and a curse because the choice allows us to choose things that aren't good for us uh, uh, or to choose things that our kids want us to have because it's the latest cool thing. And they saw the ad on TV. You know? yeah. and, and so, uh, and so uh, choice kind of has a, a two edged sword, but, but the main way Cena and I view choice is an empowerment thing. You are not beholden. You are not beholden to the supermarket. You are not beholden to, uh, to the orthodox narrative, you are you are not beholden to prescriptions and and the you know the, the conventional wisdom. Uh, you have a choice to to break out of that, <clears throat> and and once you make that choice, and you and you make one, uh, I'll just say one unorthodox choice, and you find it helpful. It, it feeds a desire. To say, well, what else have I been missing? You know, and and so then you then you start looking at well, what else? You know, where else can I go? And um, and so choice choice becomes a a, food, a feeding frenzy once you actually exercise that. Realize, ooh, I can affect me. I can affect my family. I can affect neighbors. And in a big scheme, you know, one bite at a time, we affect the planet. Yeah. Uh, actually. And so that that's a magnificent uh, empowerment idea that the the compilation of my choices actually affect the legacy of our world. That's a really hopeful thing. Yes, it is. And to me, it's like you put yourself in the driver's seat and you're in charge. You're in charge of your health. You're not a victim to the food supply. You're not a victim to the corporations that are poisoning our food supply. And once you get out of that victim mentality, then you realize how empowered you can feel and that you do have choice. So um, I love, and you talk about that in the book as well. And I love that because I think it's important. I think it's an important first step. So in the book, you discuss uh, the roadmap and the five categories. Sina, do you want to just share a little bit about what those categories are? Sure, yes. The, the roadmap is actually the backbone of Beyond Labels, and it's a continuum with, um, on one side, so on the right-hand side, there's maximal health, happiness, freedom, trust, and personal responsibility. And on the opposite side, there's the opposites, there's sickness, sadness, dependence, lack of trust and victimhood. And what we've done is designed it so it's a choose your own adventure book. So there's a quiz where, and it's, it's a fun quiz where you get to acknowledge where you currently are on this continuum, on this roadmap. And then we provide throughout this book like 72 practical bites. So we move you along the continuum or we, help, we encourage you to move along the continuum um, at a pace that you can sustain. And what we're doing is giving you step-by-step tips on how to actually move from being sick, you know, being a victim, being dependent on whoever it might be, government, on the food labels, on the medical establishment, and not really having trust in your food in the establishment. We try to help you move from there to a place where you are achieving maximal health, that you feel free 
um, that you're trusting your food and you are taking personal responsibility for your choices. And so the categories that we have decided upon, starting from the left, are processed foods. Then you move to higher quality processed foods, then to store-bought whole foods, and then locally grown whole foods, and then finally homegrown whole foods. And within each category, we provide many, many um, small steps that you can take in the form of these tips. Um, and in that way, we're not, it's really different than any other diet book, health book, or food book that I've ever seen, because we're not preaching to you. We're not saying you have to eat this. Like this is the this is the diet to make you feel better, you know, and to reverse all diseases. And this is what you have to do in order to reclaim your food supply. We're not saying that at all. We're actually trying to empower you with knowledge so that you can use your own power to choose and you can make choices giving informed consent. Because Joel and I recognize that everybody gives consent all the time, right? You're consenting to whatever it is that you're spending your dollar on, you are speaking with your dollars. So whether you buy your food at a hot dog stand or a 7-Eleven or a farm or Whole Foods, you are actually um, giving your consent. You may not give informed consents, but you are consenting to something. So for instance, when I used to buy Doritos, I was consenting to GMOs. I was saying I was okay with eating GMOs, you know? Um, like when you consent to certain sodas that have like brominated vegetable oil in it, you're consenting, you're telling that company, I'm okay eating this flame retardant, you know? Um, and so what we're trying to do is to encourage people to give informed consent, but without dictating to them what, what their choice should be. We want them to have freedom of choice so that we, we do actually utilize and harness our power as consumers to move the market. So that was that is the basis, the backbone of this book is this continuum, this what we call this roadmap. And like I said, you get to choose with every bite of food, you get to choose where you wanna be along that continuum. Well, I love that. And I think given people really need to realize they do have a choice and how important their choice is. And there are so many people, I'm a nutritionist and a life coach, and people ask me constantly, how should I eat? You know, should I do paleo? Should I do keto? Should I do? And I said, let's throw all that out and discuss what works for you and yes. what will get you the, uh, you know, optimal health that you say you want. So, so I, yes. I love, I love the way you do that. You're not dictating. This is the way you have to eat. You're, you're offering like a menu for health and you get to pick from that menu of what exactly. works for you. I'm glad you brought that up, Carol, because that is actually a concept that we keep coming back to in this book is that we don't have anything against these different diets like paleo, right. keto, her 30, 30. We're not against any of that, right? We're for um, individualism, right? So we talk about this in the book that we are not recommending a specific type of diet because everybody is an individual. And actually this, uh, we want you, the reason the book is called Beyond Labels, it's not just going beyond the label in the grocery store, right? Which that's part of the book and that's critical to understand yeah. what's in the food. It's also going beyond the labels that 
we have allowed ourselves to adopt from society, right? These limiting beliefs, labels are limiting beliefs, right? right? Whether it's a political label, like, oh, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, you know, or um, it's the label of age, right? Or a health and nutrition have their own labels. It, it could be any of these labels. And we're trying to say, don't allow people to lock you into these labels, right? Because it, it's limiting your power. And I'll give you an example with health and nutrition. Um, I have a lot of people that ask me the same question. They'll be like, just tell me what to eat, you know, or I'm eating paleo and I'm strict on it and I'm following, I'm checking the boxes and I'm still not getting healthy. Okay, well, anytime that you're going to, in a way, hand your power, your authority over to one particular type of diet, whether it be paleo, AIP, AIP diet, keto, you are now in a way outsourcing your power because what you're doing is you're saying that I'm gonna follow this one diet instead of listening to my own God-given innate intuition about what your body's telling you. So you're, no, you're blocking that communication with your body and instead you're following a man-made diet, which is these diets are another form of a label. Right, you're just following that man-made diet. And we would love for people to be able to get past all of that. And again, there's nothing wrong with those diets, right? Like I used AIP to help me reverse um, many of the conditions that I had. But what we're saying is don't box yourself into it. Don't cut off the communication with your own body. L learn how to listen to your body and to communicate it with, with it because your body is the best nutritionist or physician that anybody could buy. I, I totally agree. And to me, it really felt like a workbook to assist people to make healthier choices. And, and then you offer strategies to do this one bite at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, you mentioned the uh, 72 different practical bites. Uh, I thought I'd go through a few, a few of those just to give our audience kind of a snippet of what they can look forward to when they get this book. Joel, let's start with you. So number three in the book says, say no to antibiotics eating out. Can you share a little bit about that bite? Well, yeah, as a, you know, on the, on a farm, uh, on a farm, you know, well, farmers use a lot of antibiotics. A lot of uh, Americans don't realize that, Cena might correct me if I'm wrong here, but that something like twice as many antibiotics are used in animal agriculture as are used in human. Uh, so think of all, think of all the, all the, uh, the, the drugs that, that go through pharmaceutical companies and then double it, that's what goes into your food. I still remember one of the catchiest headlines I ever saw in a, in a I think it was Acres USA magazine. It's who's drugging your dinner. And, uh, and we, we kind of adopted that at our farm and, and start, you know, our animals don't do drugs. And so on this soundbite, what we're, what we're suggesting is that when you go out to eat, that you're looking for provenance from, you're looking for a restaurant with provenance from farms that don't use uh, antibiotics. And uh, that's pretty difficult. You know, that, that becomes pretty limiting. But, you know, for those of us who are really concerned about uh, MRSA and C. diff and superbugs and all of these uh, adaptations to the the overuse of antibiotics. I, I, look, I'm not opposed. Look, if I've got a, a, a an infection, 
Uh, I want an antibiotic. I mean, you know, there, there are there are places for this, but the problem is we've used them subtherapeutically with with just um, abandonment within the food and within the farm sector, and then of course that that transfers right into the food sector. And so there are there are some pretty actually some pretty major you know superbugs now in in humanity that are directly attributed to this kind of reckless use of antibiotics within the food system. Yeah, I totally agree. And so I think that'll be really helpful for people to understand. And I tell my clients, I say, ask questions, find out who the chef is and, you know, be, be the squeaky wheel. That's mm-hmm. how we change things, you know, say, what, what kind of meat do you use? What, ask those kind of questions. What kind of oil do you use? Because until we start to ask those questions and demand better, it's going to be status quo. So I think that's really important. Okay, Joel, number six, and this was fascinating to me, say no to chlorinated eggs. I think a lot of people are unaware of this one. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so the chlorinated egg thing is that um, in the in the industry, of course, you know, you gotta realize the, the industry, the, the factory farm system is is just is just filthy. Um, you, you can't you can't imagine the the level of fecal dust and fecal particulate matter in a factory house it's on it's on the door you go in it's on the feeders the waterers the it's um it's it's on the feathers of the chickens it's it's in the air it's everywhere it's this this dusty pall of of fecal particulate and so so the industry of course is paranoid about this coming in on our food supply and so they want to uh, they want to sterilize everything. Remember, uh, in many cases, they're using uh, they're using um, antibiotics that's that encourage superbugs, and so and so they don't want to get anybody sick with a superbug. And so the solution is sterilize everything. So so the uh, the kind of uh, uh, paradigm or, or or view within the industry we want this food to go out of here in a sterile condition and so when they when they bring these eggs in from and bring them in from the house these eggs are covered with chicken manure dust uh, I, I call it fecal fecal particulate uh, but it's this it's this pall of, of, of particulate of manure and um, and so these eggs are washed and they go through a chlorine bath. Now, the interesting thing is that an egg shell is a little bit porous. That's how it can breathe. That's how the, you know, if, a, if an egg shell weren't porous, a chick couldn't breathe, you know, uh, to, to hatch. And so the, the, the shell is porous. So some of this chlorine actually penetrates and goes into the egg and comes into your, into your uh, skin. And, and so, um, so you know, it's not it's not measured. Uh, nobody measures it. It's nobody's even trying to measure it. It just is the protocol in the industry to wash these eggs in a chlorine bath. Some of the chlorine goes into the egg, and uh, voila, you're eating some chlorine when you eat these you know industrial factory eggs. Yeah. And Carol, if I can add here, the government actually acknowledges 
that the egg is porous and that some of the chlorine gets in. So they've actually listed the chlorine as a food additive. Oh, I bet, yeah. I bet not too many people know that. No, no. And the implication is that when you consume the chlorine, right, the chlorine is a disinfectant, right? Its job is to kill microbes. So the health implication there is you're consuming, even though it's a small amount possibly, it's killing the microbes in your gastrointestinal tract, which, you know, we can get into that more if you want, but I'm, your audience probably already is aware of yeah. how critically yeah. important your microbiome is. So yeah. you're sterilizing yourself while, while you're eating these sterilized foods. Yeah. And one of the things that you do in the book is you, you talk about this and then uh, to me, you just talk about solutions of, of what you can do about this. You, you offer um, even a website where you can find out by looking at the code on your eggs, if, if they're, you know, you can look it up and, and find out if it's been chlorinated and you can call the company uh, which I always strongly suggest people do. I I'm constantly calling a company, you know, to say, okay, what do you, what's this, you know, and uh, that again, that's how we affect change. So let's move on to a few more of these uh, practical bites. Uh, Sina, uh, number twenty-two, you say, look for the duo, and I think this is important because it involves labeling, and I think it's confusing for people. Yes, it is. So yes, and Joel and I went back and forth on these a lot because <laughs> um, this one involves the USDA organic label. Um, so again, um, Joel and I, our goal is not to discourage people from moving forward through the continuum, right? We want, we want to help you move forward because every step forward is an accomplishment. It's just we're also going to be honest and tell you um, some of the still some of the downsides right and then offer another solution so you can move forward again on the continuum so having said that um if you're eating conventional food switching from conventional to usda organic is a huge step forward right it's going to decrease the toxic burden on your body okay so that's great now joel and i are pointing out some flaws in the usda organic label and there are many of them and so one of them is what we're calling look for the duo. So I think of the USDA organic label as a bucket of water and it has, it springs leaks, right? It gets holes and leaks spring. And then, so I look for another label to patch that hole. And that's one of them is the duo means you're gonna go into the grocery store, you're gonna look for the USDA organic label and you're gonna also look on that same food product for the non-GMO project verified label. And the reason is because even though technically, if a food is carrying the USDA organic label, it means it's not supposed to contain GMOs. Um, well, at least if it's 100% USDA organic label, there's no, there's no GMOs. However, there's no testing for it. They don't test on the farm and they don't test the final product. The, um, the, check, the check the box is pretty much the certifier is gonna come out and look at paperwork, um, but they're not actually gonna do any testing. They can if they want to, but they don't, right? They just look at the paperwork. So how are, if the farm isn't tested and if the final food product isn't tested and have you keep in mind the final food product, like a processed food is a compilation of ingredients 
from different sources, from different farms, right? So if those aren't tested, then how do you actually know that there are no GMOs in that USDA organic food, right? You can't know because even the producer doesn't know. So that's why I say pair it with the non-GMO projects label. They are a third party independent organization. So they're not run by the government. They don't have to take money from the government as far as I know. Um, they're independent and they actually test the final food products and they'll test inputs as well. And um, they test um, to a, a lower degree than, uh, than even the USDA could test. So it's a more thorough testing. And so I, I always say, look for that. It's, it's a butterfly. Their logo was a butterfly. And so my kids would, would play the look for the butterfly game with me in the grocery store and they'd run up and down the aisle. And you know, this was like at the age of five, they could do this, right? Like, it's not that hard. You look for the USDA organic label and then you look to see if it has the butterfly. And then, you know, that's for processed foods. If you're buying in the grocery store, that's as pretty much as covered as you can get at this point for avoiding GMOs. Yeah, I, I wanna talk a little bit about this because I hear this all the time. <laughs> People will say, okay, I chose a product, it had the butterfly on it, um, but it didn't have the organic certification there. And they go, so it's totally clean. And I wanted to explain to people, just because it doesn't have GMOs in it, doesn't mean it doesn't have glyphosate in it. Because That's right. they're, no. they're two different things, but uh, I think people are confused by that. Yeah, and that's exactly right. The non-GMO project label, that butterfly label, its sole purpose is to preserve the non-GMO food supply, right? It's just about GMOs. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with, you know, pesticides or heavy metals that may be present in the food or antibiotic residues or right. hormones that are used. It doesn't cover any of that. Um, it's specific for GMOs. So yeah. yes, I think that's a good step forward is looking, if you're eating conventional, that's another good step forward is to look for the non-GMO project because at least then you're not eating GMOs in those foods. But yes, another step forward would be pair it with the USDA organic label because that label technically, um, when I say it lowers your toxic load, what I mean is uh, for produce, for instance, for fruits and vegetables, um, it, it prohibits most pesticide use. Right. For animals, it would prohibit most antibiotic use and it would prohibit, you know, hormone use and you can't feed them food that that has pesticides in it or GMOs in it. Yeah. Um, you know, there are the loopholes which we get into in the book and we can discuss here if you want, but the, but it's distinctly different than yeah. the non-GMO project label. And I, I think that's really important that that's a question I get asked all the time about the non-GMO project verified yeah. or yeah carol if i could if i could jump in um uh just Absolutely. on this on this point yeah that um as we as we uh put the book together probably uh seeing an eye's most um most difficult wrestling if i can use that word um was over this thing because here at polyface farm we don't use any labels uh, we don't use any labels at all. We, we don't play with any of those games at all. We're transparent. We have a 24-7, 365 open door policy for people to come and see what we're doing and, 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 and check us out. Um, for example, organic, neither organic nor GMO ever, ever um, uh, asked the question, 
how of, of carbon footprints or how far away did this come from? Uh, and so, for example, we so for example, we use local non-GMO from many Amish farmers who don't want to play the USDA. They don't want all the paperwork game. So these yeah. Amish farmers, they're not organic certified. They are GMO free. They're local. They're right here in our community. So we keep our dollars. You see what I'm saying? So so as as we dealt with the book, um, fortunately, Cena and I are both. Uh, fairly, you know, whatever, individualistic and, and, and um, we, we just don't cotton to a lot of centralized planning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're all about, you know, personal empowerment. And so, um, and so I think it's important to realize that this, this particular uh, bite at this point in the book is on a continuum. And so the, right. um, you know, the, the, the thing where I, so, so I had to come to a point where I could abide, I could abide Cena's advice here, and it was okay with me because I knew that this was on a, that we were going to get to a place where we wanted we wanted people to come out of the grocery store, right. and so so when you see it in that continuum, when you see it in that continuum, it 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 it, it allowed a place to to move even even forward from that. So, right. Uh, I think Cena would agree with our, 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 big, our biggest concern. One of our big concern is that, that people get to a point in their food journey and say, well, I've arrived and stopped. Listen, here at Polyphase Farm, we're still evolving. We're, we're still trying to do better, you know? And, and, um, and so you, you never arrive there. Now, you don't want to obsess about it, but at the same time, you want to just you want you don't want to just sit on your laurels and say, okay, you know, trust me, there's there's a better place ahead, and um, and so I, I just want to I just want to point that out that that was a real we really wrestled with that, and uh, and I, I well this uh, this kind of segues right into uh, uh, the next bite I wanted to ask you about, Joel, which is uh, step outside the grocery store box. Uh, keep it in mind, we're on a continuum here. So yes. we're, we're progressing through the book. So say a little well, bit about that. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, people, when they say, when they say the food system, when in our culture, when we talk about the food system, uh, the assumption is we're talking about supermarkets and grocery stores. That's that's the food system. But as you know, Carol, um, there is there is a whole additional food system um, beyond that, from farmers markets to CSAs to on farm, and now now literally in the last five years, a very very healthy shipping option where you can get food shipped to you, um, especially, you know, uh, heavy, heavy stuff, not so much, you know, vegetables and produce as much as, you know, meats and cheese and things like that, that's, that's heavy and expensive. That's where, that's where shipping becomes more viable is when food is more nutrient dense and, and naturally more expensive and heavy. But, uh, but we have all of these options out here. Now, now, the typical response is, well, if everybody quit going to the grocery store, 
there wouldn't be enough food in, in these other places. And as a farmer who doesn't sell in grocery stores much, um, I can tell you that my response to that is, well, you just try it and see. The second thing is to realize that everybody's not going to step out of the grocery store tomorrow. So, so it, it, it becomes a moot point uh, that, you know, this thing that, well, they could never feed us anyway. No, 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 no. All they have to do is feed you. At the end of the day, you're not responsible for the, for the failure or the success of the grocery store system, of the supermarket system. What you're responsible for is you and Emily's health and what you're patronizing, your choices. That's, that's what you're responsible for. And, and so, uh, again, a lot of times people allow, allow the difficulty of stepping out to stop them at a place that is not as good as it could be. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a book out, uh, you know, um, well, you, you, you can become, you can become um, uh, content. You can become content too early. And uh, I don't want everybody to be discontent, but I do want to, I do want everybody to be challenged uh, so that there's a, you know, there's a, there's a challenge out there ahead of you. And so that's the idea. Yes, there is plenty of, there are plenty of options. You don't have to be dependent on, on the uh, the supermarket, and um, and and yeah, uh, and I, I think I even say in the book. I, I say in the book, you know, there there are many. There, there may be farmers literally a mile or two from your house who are desperate for five more customers that will allow them to come back to their farm full time. They're 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 commuting to the town job. They're trying to do this thing on weekends, and they're desperate for five more people would tip them over into, oh, okay, I can stay home and farm full time. And, and I don't think the average consumer realizes what a, a catalyst, what a facilitator um, she could be in, in, in enabling a couple of farmers to be able to make that, that leap into uh, staying at home on their farm with their family and being full time and stopping that city commute. Um, that, that's a, you know, it's a little bit out there. People don't think about it, but as a farmer who completely depends on these customers who all exercise their choice, uh, I understand I am completely dependent on the choices that my people have made that enable me to be successful. And, and so I want to invert that, flip that around and help the average person to understand, the average, the average shopper to understand, you have it in your power to empower another farmer like me. And if yeah. you want farmers like me in our world, then then uh, empower us, patronize Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I go to the farmer's market every single Saturday. I mean, unless I'm out of town, I, I go there. Even if I don't really need much, I still go there because I want to support those farmers. I want them to stay in business. I want, you know, I, I always can find things I need when I'm there. I don't feel that way when I go to the grocery store. I don't feel yeah. like, okay, this poor, I'm just going to use Safeway. This poor Safeway chain needs my support right now. I don't feel that way, but I do feel that way because it's it's yeah. more of a direct. This is this is the choice that I want to make. 
Mm-hmm. I want to buy from the local farmer. And you're right about the, about the labels. And when I go to my farmer's market, there are a couple USDA certified organic. And there's a couple farmers I buy from that I know have good practices, but they can't afford it. They're smaller. And right. I ask them questions. And if you ask yeah. your farmer a question, they'll tell you the truth. And if they don't, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know, and Carol, I'm glad you brought that up because in the book, um, you know, since it is solution oriented, we do tell you how to find your local farmer. Because I know that was an impediment for me in trying to find like, where do I, do I just Google search? And how do I know which ones are the good farmers? And, you know, so we actually give you resources to find your local farmer. And then we give you a list of questions to ask that local farmer so that you can make sure that they are aligned with, you know, these principles that we've set out in the book. So we really try to make it step-by-step, like really one, one easy step at a time, giving you all the information that you need so that you can move along this continuum. And I wanna add another component of this book, as, as we mentioned, the continuum is the freedom aspect of it. We haven't talked about that a lot, but um, we, saw, we saw that in action during the shutdowns of you know, the COVID. Um, we saw shortages, food shortages happen, particularly meat shortages happen. And at least around here, it's our local farmers, the small family farms, that filled in that gap for many of us so that we could keep food on our table, you know, feed our children. So I think many of us have, have, are starting to understand how fragile the industrial food system is and the, you know, the big chain supermarkets are part of that. We're seeing the fragility of that system and that we don't have freedom in that system, a lot of freedom. You know, our, our freedom is severely hindered by patronizing that system. Um, so just another reason to move to the right of that continuum and go find your local farmer and support them with your dollars. Yeah. If I may add one, uh, um, it, it, it is simply that that, um, that is intimidating. And, and I get it to the, to the average person who who has never stepped outside of a supermarket to buy a morsel of anything. When you, when you look at her and say, well, um, do you know any local farmers? You know, would you like to do that? That's a very intimidating thought. It's, it's an intimidating idea. It's like a, it's like a foreign world, you know, no, I got to get the, I got to get the kids to the soccer game. I've got to get, well, I guess they don't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I've got I've got this stuff to do, you know, and and it has really struck me how people like Cena and I, who have devoted, um, well, in my case, decades, in her going soon to be decades, to developing a a a a skill at sleuthing, a a skill at um, at finding these farm food treasures in our communities. Um, it's it, it's a skill you cultivate like any other. Uh, name any skill you have, and you know you can't Google experience. It, it, you, all you can do is just do experience, and so that's why in the book we 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 give it in such small incremental steps that all you have to do is do one step out once because um, because newness, innovation in our lives, innovation in our thoughts, innovation in our in our routines and our schedules, it's 
it's it's intimidating. It's it's paralyzing, and and we totally get it. And so what Cena and I say as is now common practice for us is is like learning a foreign language to a lot of people. And so that's why we encourage folks to take this incrementally uh, in a way that you can metabolize one step at a time so that you're not overwhelmed. So you're not overwhelmed with newness and, and which becomes its own, you know, kind of burden. I totally agree. And I think you both did a really good job in, in doing that in the book uh, where maybe somebody only wants to go so far with this, you know, then they get to choose. And, and then that brings me to uh, the last, the final chapter, which people may or may not want to do. That's uh, get your hands dirty, shift from locally grown to homegrown. Joel, give us maybe a bite or two from that section. You know, I'm, I'm going to be doing that too. And I think a lot of people are moving toward that, but there's many that are not. But give us a few uh, words of wisdom on that. <laughs> uh, well, well, uh, sure. Listen, uh, there are so many wonderful um, little urban gardening devices now, little hanging tubes that you can hang on your patio and stuff them with compost and put some herbs in there. Uh, you know, container gardening. Uh, this doesn't have to be big, it, very, very small. But, but actually um, growing something yourself being involved with the, 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 the mystery and the, the majesty of, of life is, is really quite profound. I mean, it's as exciting as a video game any day, trust me. Uh, and, and, and on, the, on the animal side, on the animal side, I'm a huge believer in, in two or three chickens for a family. Now, um, you know, laying chickens, the, think think of all the benefits. I mean, these a couple of chickens like this. Look, an average one average American dog. I think Cena has several dogs, but uh, yeah, one average American what <laughs> one average American dog poops. It, it, it takes it it takes eleven chickens. All right, it takes eleven chickens to poop as much as one average American dog. So if you've got <laughs> <laughs> two or three chickens you know you've got like you know a quarter of a dog um which is not very much and chicken and chicken manure is a wonderful you know fertilizer uh for your potted plants your flowers your whatever but the main thing is they can eat your kitchen scraps so you just dump your kitchen scraps in there they're very resourceful and they turn those kitchen scraps into a couple of eggs a day that are far better than anything you can buy in a supermarket now you take you, you reduce the landfill, you reduce the garbage uh, flow, and you get uh, fresh eggs for your table. And of course, you know the thing about chickens is they're they're they get up real early in the morning. They're always happy to get up early. They spend the day turning trash into treasure, and they go to bed as soon as the sun goes down. So if you have teenagers in your house, there's no better role model for teenagers than chickens, you know, to get up early in the morning, spend all day turning <laughs> trash and, treasure, and then go to bed as soon as the sun goes down. What better role model can you have for your kids? Yeah, that's great. Well, I know a lot of people are doing that and I've had chickens before. I, do, I don't currently, but it's funny from having chickens and saving all those you know, good organic scraps to feed my chickens. 
where I live now, don't we have horses and dogs, but <laughs> I could not stand throwing the scraps away. So I found somebody in the neighborhood that has goats and oh. called them up and said, hey, oh. Can I feed your goats? Can I throw some food over the fence? And he goes, absolutely. So there's no waste. Goats eat everything. <laughs> yeah, they're so, wonderful. They're yeah, wonderful. So, um, so we're almost out of time here, um, but I, I'm just curious, and I know you talk about this a little bit in the book, but I think our listeners will be curious about this. How did a farmer and a PhD nutritionist come together to write a book? <laughs> uh, well, we, um, <laughs> Cena had written a book, um, yeah. uh, was it Hands Off My Food, I think was the name of it. And uh, I read it and, and, she, and really it, you know, it really resonated with me. And uh, then we got picked to headline a, um, a kind of uh, uh, an independent food initiative here in Virginia. Uh, we have a, it's called the Virginia Independent Consumer and Farmers Association. And um, they do an annual, uh, at that time, we're doing an annual kind of whatever shindig. And, um, and I had been involved in the founding of the organization and the current president knew Cena and ask Cena to come and speak. And so the two of us were the headliners of the, of the shindig. And, um, and Cena, Cena went before I did. And I mean, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I took whatever, you know, eight pages of notes. I said, man, this is, this is something. And uh, so <laughs> then when I got done with my talk, of course, the whole, the whole shindig started to break up. Uh, Cena made a beeline to me and she said, you know, through the, through the crowd kind of, you know, yelled at me, uh, we should do a book together. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I think we should. That is <laughs> so, so cool. Cena, <laughs> so, you know, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, for me, it was one of those divine moments because I was, um, you know, Joel is a rock star in my family. Like my children literally call him a rock star, right? We buy all of our meat from him. The only hot dogs we eat in this house come from Polyface Farm. And so I was very intimidated to share a stage with the great Joel Salatin. Um, so I was very nervous and um, I wanted to impress him because I was hoping to ask him for, um, for an interview. Like I wanted to interview him for my, for my website. Well, when I, when I started talking to him, something came over me. I'm telling you, Carol, it, the spirit came over me because it was not premeditated. And instead of asking him for an interview, I just blurted out, Hey, we should write a book together. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, what is it going to be about? And I'm like, I don't know, but <laughs> it'll be good. Like, so, um, you know, and I had a, a vague idea of what I, what I wanted to write the book about because I'd already been on a, a, a book tour for my first book and I was getting the same questions from people who were sick over and over again. So I had this initial concept of what the book would be about, but it wasn't flushed out at all. 
And I just told him, I was like, I don't know, I have a basic idea, but I think if we just stay true to our principles and we hand it over to God, then it will be a success. And fortunately for me, he had faith, he had faith in me and faith in the concept. And so he went along with it. And this was the product. Carol, um, uh, what what a lot of people don't realize. I, I think two things I'd like to just add in here. One okay. is a lot of a lot of people don't realize. Cena and I probably went back and forth. Correct me, Cena. Like a year, a year until we actually had, you know, developed this format and this idea. So that's one thing. the The amount of back and forth and <laughs> haggling that we had over over theme, direction, content, uh, it was, it, it, it eclipsed the book, uh, at least for me. Um, the sec, but, but, but once we, once we both agree that that year of, of, of discussion made the book strong, it, it, it gave us clarity. We, we finally came to clarity and it's, it's clarity that creates magnificent content. Because if you yeah. don't have clarity, you're just out here in foo-foo land. Yeah. So, um, so, so that was, you know, that was uh, uh, critical in getting this forward. Then the second thing was, as you know, most of the time when you see a co-authored book, you you don't see the different authors through the book. You know, they yeah, yeah. somehow they meld and they blend and they write together. And so, as, as we as we worked together, we realized we had so. We, we came from such completely opposite places to, to the table, but they were completely complementary. But just like, you know, we, we didn't want to mix the meat with the applesauce, you know. We, so, so we decided, we decided the thing to do was to just let it be a conversation, co-author, but not meld our words, actually let our distinct voices, which, which is, which is part of our individualistic choice mantra. You know, it, yeah. it, goes, it flows it's, perfectly with, I our think, idea, with our idea of, of independent, uh, you know, customization. And so Cena could speak with her voice. I can speak with my voice and people could appreciate that. And, and I, think, I think it's just magnificent that conversational dialogue about the time you get tired of, of listening to me, here comes Cena. And about the time you get, well, you never get tired of hearing from Cena. But, but uh, if you did, then, then I, you know, I'll come back. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, uh, it, it's so, you know, really, it, it's it, easy it's to follow. Fun. It's easy to follow, easy to read. And it's just packed full of great information. So I think you, you both did a great job on that. So thank you, Joel and Cena, for being a guest on Food Integrity Now. The book is Beyond Labels, and I will put a link to that on my show page. And it really is a must read. It's practical. Um, I am such a foodie. I study food every day because there's always something new to learn. And I thought I knew a lot, but I, I learned some new things by your book, which is fabulous. And uh, for our listeners, you know, maybe you're new today. And if you haven't subscribed to Food Integrity Now, you can go to foodintegritynow.org and join us. And our podcasts are available on iTunes and Spotify. 
And just thanks for listening. And next week, we're going to have a fascinating show with the documentary filmmaker, Lynn Cunningham, who is the co-director and producer of a documentary film called Medicating Normal, which is going to be an interesting show. So um, stay tuned for that. And uh, again, Joel, Cena. This has just been a fantastic conversation today. And, you know, I just think the book is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.